welcome into District 1 Sports. Mike and Micah back for another episode. It's been a couple of weeks. We've had some destinations changing. We've had a lot going on. And to be honest, there hasn't been much information going on in the past three weeks. This is usually the dog days of summer. Um, We've obviously had the Nats going on. Not much uh, different with the Nats. They were hot. Kyle Schwarber got hurt. They weren't. Went to the West Coast. Crazy games are now five games under 500 and deciding between buying or selling. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week as we get into our trade deadline MLB special. But Micah, it's been a while. And the last time we talked, we were celebrating Scott Brooks being gone. The Wizards going in a new direction. But we didn't know exactly who would be the man to lead these men to their next stage. And now we have that name. And it is Wes Unsell Jr. Yes. The son of probably the former greatest wizard slash bullet of all time, Wes Unseld. His son is now leading the Washington Wizards team. All the quotes, the press conference, everything has been spot on. Everything makes you excited to be a Wizards fan. How we talk to Russ, how we talk to Bill, all the adjustments. So I just want to start with this, Micah. What stood out to you most about what you've seen so far in the first couple of weeks of, well, I guess in the first week of Wes Until Jr.? The biggest thing for me, and it's such a breath of fresh air to get this level of clear accountability and coordination of a plan, but it's it's the idea that, you know, everybody's going to be held accountable in this regime. And I could get that off the bat. You could tell from possibly his father being NBA legend. You could tell that from how his path has taken him from basically being a, just a member of player development to him being a lead assistant on playoff teams for the last decade, and now him being a head coach. There's a level of discipline that comes with Wes Unsell Jr. that everybody in the league takes note of. It's why the Nuggets coaches were pounding on the table for him. It's why you know Brad and Russ already understand what's going on. And it's why Wes Unseld has the ability on his introductory press conference to say they're looking for accountability. I think they'll know offense isn't the issue, but, you know, they got to buy into defense. That right there, it speaks volumes already to what we want to get out of Wes. And we'll see what his scheme brings, and we'll see what he does, you know, on the court with the on-court product. But fresh ideas of how to attack the offense and who should be playing intensity and effort on defense is going to be a premium because he is an assistant coach that has been getting the best out of every defensive team that he's been a part of. I mean, he's turned the nuggets, as we mentioned before, when we were talking about candidates, into a perennial top five, top ten defense in the league. These are all things that are going to have to be brought to the Wizards, and I think Wes automatically and already has shown that he has clear control over the locker room. He is the guy. It is not going to be a situation where he's going to be muted out by guys like Russ or possibly Brad trying to cloud his vision or anything like that. And there's a level of respect already there. And these are all things that I have, I don't much like, you know, I don't really remember seeing or hearing about these things. And these are all things that I feel like we have been missing. A lot of the on court stuff, you know, skill is skill and the Wizards are a skilled team, but the level of direction and respect and caring about the on-court product and having the discipline to do that, that's already important, and that's what Wes is going to bring. For me, just the fact that we saw a plan, like you said, attention to detail, 
And that's one thing that both Tommy and uh, Ernie, I mean, not Tommy and um, um, and Ted brought up during their introductory press conference at West. When they talked to a lot of these assistant coaches and talked to the players in their exit meetings, they saw that the Wizards weren't really a detailed focused team. And they say that West is very detail oriented, that every little thing matters to her. Now, obviously, you have to see it in action. We have to see it come to fruition first before we can go ahead and crown him a great coach. But he did come in saying that he wants to focus on defense. He thinks the offense is okay, and the offense is okay. And there are certain things that he mentioned, um, getting Beal easier looks, passing the ball more, getting better shots, things of that nature that can help the offense improve. But he's coming in here to change this defense. And if you can make a defense with Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Jokic, all on the floor at the same time, serviceable, then a defense with Rui on there, Russ, Brad, Denny, Daniel Gafford, he should be able to turn that into a pretty decent defense itself. So th- those would be the main things that I would be looking for in Wes. I, I think this could be a good partnership for both sides. It's something he's going to have to grow into, and he has to be able to adapt because there can be a time that will come where Russ wants out, Brad wants out, and he's going to have to readjust and recalibrate whatever he thinks this team is going to be. So hopefully we'll figure out what the Wizards want to do going forward. And I I, I don't know. I, I just feel like we're in good hands with Wes going forward, and this will lead to great things for the Wizards. I think they could truly be a 4-5 or five seed next year if they are able to turn around this defense and be an actual like good team for once. <laughs> Something that we haven't been able to say for a couple of years now. Yes. One more thing before we. Oh no no go ahead go ahead. No go no ahead. just a quick just a quick quick point. It, you know going into you know everything that you said like just said and as far as just there being a plan and things like that. Ted even said it in you know the introductory presser like and this is what I just kind of wanted to like to share real quick that what's this focus on defense and game planning and all of the little things. It details that win you a couple more games because he felt like they lost games that they shouldn't have and if anybody watched the Wizards like. Literally anybody, even casually, you will know that they blew a lot of games that they shouldn't. And that was the difference between scratching the eighth seed and the fourth seed in the uh, East last year. Yeah, it truly is. That four to eight seed, it was all mixed up. It was all technically the four to ten. It was all mixed up, all jumbled up. The The Knicks were just a very good coach team um, with Thibs being a great regular season coach. We saw what happened when Lord Pierce left and that was able to take the Hawks from right where the Wizards were to the four seed. So it wasn't anything crazy that happened with those two teams. It's just great coaching was able to turn those teams. We saw it even mid-season from, okay, you're 8 to 10 fighting for that play into you're solidly in um, the playoffs. One more thing I want to bring up, and it's because I want to have to bring it up because it was a topic around D.C., but I don't really think it's a real story. Um, there was a report earlier this week that the Lakers are interested in either Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook. I don't think there's any legs to it, but Micah, do you think that there's a real story here where the trade package is uh, Russell Westbrook and we get Dennis Schroeder, Taylor Horton, Tucker, Kyle Kuzma in a first-round pick? I don't think Wes Unsell Jr. signs on to the team if he knows that trade package is going down, so I'm just going to be a flat-out no. Um, the only story there is that the Lakers are looking for some guards to match up with Braun and AD going forward because God knows they need it. That's the story. It's not that Brad is getting traded to the Lakers. Oh, not even Brad. Excuse me, Russ is getting traded to the Lakers, but not Brad either. No, Nobody's going to the Lakers from the Wizards. 
Yeah, I had to bring it up just because it was a storyline, but I don't even think it's worth wasting our time or worth talking about. We didn't bring Russ over and send a protected first-round pick and lose our franchise star player for a year later to turn around and get Kyle Kuzma, Taylor Hurton Tucker, and Dennis Schroeder in a signing trade. Like, that's not... That doesn't do anything. That's getting. That's making sure Brad leaves D.C. That's making sure that you're a 12 seed for the next five years. Nah, that isn't happening. But again, I had to bring it up. I want to pivot a little bit to the NBA draft that's coming up uh, on Thursday. So I'm essentially um, less than a week from today, uh, six days from now, the NBA draft will be going on. The Washington Wizards obviously made the playoffs, so we're not a lottery team and have that 15th pick, right? The pick right outside of the lottery with Golden State coming in at 14 and having seven. So before we started this podcast, I I talked to Mike and I was like, how do we want to address this draft? We can go through top prospects and everything, but that doesn't really matter because we're not getting top prospects. It's about at 15, just finding needs and filling the needs. So Micah, Give me your number one prospect that you think, if he's there at 15, and we're doing it realistically, so we're not going to see Kaminga at 15. We're not right. going to see any of these top prospects. Your best case scenario, this guy ends up falling to 15 in that teens range. Who are you taking at that uh, at that pick? This is almost a, a layup and dunk. Uh, you know, alley-oop and dunk, I should say. It's really, really simple. But uh, Moses Moody is the guy. And you mentioned him because I had asked a couple questions. You has sent me something about Trey Murphy from UVA, who's also a player that could easily fit in this. I mean, their height, weight, I mean, you know, Trey has a little bit, maybe three more inches, but they're about the same size. They kind of do a lot of the same things on the court. But, man, if Moses Moody finds his way to 15, I think immediately what you're getting is a player that can do it all. I mean, yes, he was a freshman, and you kind of do like the fact that Trey Murphy uh, is a junior and he has a little bit more experience. But with Moses Moody, you're already getting – an offensive bag, you're getting a player that plays with great effort, and you're getting a player that could grow with a new team and really just a new situation. I mean, what better way to kick off a West Unsell-led team with focus and drive and effort than getting a guy like Moses Moody who could absolutely capitalize on that in year one? And, you know, just to bounce off, you know, I did mention that Trey Murphy was also a guy for me, a little bit less explosive of a score and maybe a little bit less of an offensive bag, but he makes up for that in his efficiency and the fact that he can play great, great defense, and you're getting a 6'9 wing. I think those are two things that we kind of needed last year was somebody that could be a true combo wing player and somebody that could add a little bit more scoring and consistency to the scoring. And I think those two guys at 15, either one of them will be great. But if I had to pick one, it would be Moses Moody. So Mike and I have gone pretty much a deep dive on this 15th pick. Because it tells a lot about the Wizards' future. And I know you may think, how can a 15th pick tell a lot about the Wizards' future? Well, luckily for us, or maybe unluckily, the players that you can pick at 15 decides where you really want to go as a team. Like you said, you have your Moses Moody's, you have your Trey Murphy's, you have your Corey uh, Kispert's, you have your Chris uh, Durate, uh, you have your James Booknight. You, you have guys like that who are a little bit more established, guys that... You're not looking as projects. You're not looking as, okay, in three, four years, maybe he can be this. Trey Murphy, he's he averaged at 50, 40, 90 in college. Yeah, you don't expect him to do that his first year here, but I can I can deal with the 45, a 35, and an 85. Like that, that would help at that three position. I'll, I'll 
be great with somebody being able to play some defense. That's going to work out. But we didn't see that last year. Versus some other guys in the draft where you have your uh, Zaire Williams, your uh, Sanguine um, from overseas. Just guys like that who it's a little bit more of a project where you're looking like, oh, is this really necessarily a fit right now? Is this a guy that we really do need? That's the other direction. Because if you're getting somebody that's not contributing to this team immediately, you're saying, well, we're kind of looking forward more to the future. That was similar to that Denny pick last year. I really do feel like the Denny pick was maybe this Brad and Russ, uh, this Brad and Wall thing at this time may devolve by the All Star break, and we're going to have to move on from both of them. And then Denny's going to end up being a big part of the future. I still think Denny can be a contributor in uh, a lesser role, but looking at it, I think maybe you thought hmm, there's a chance Bill may be gone. There's a chance Wall may be gone. We need to start thinking of our future. So this pick is going to be very telling. For uh, for me, my number one guy, I, I, I've been moody this whole time, but just watching Trey Murphy, I feel like he just fits a lot. He's the perfect 3 and D guy. What le- got those Suns to the NBA Finals? They had great guard play from their point guard and shooting guard in Russ and Bradley Beal. You can get that. And they had a plethora yep. of wings. Oh, my God. They had Bridges. Jay Crowder, Cam Johnson, those guys would rotate and just be a problem throughout. If one wasn't having a great game, the other one would be having a great game. You had your Cam Johnson game, you had your Mal Bridges game, you had your Jay Crowder games. Like Those guys were just rotating throughout, and Washington really lacked at the three. Bertans is a very streaky shooter, and he's very one-dimensional. You had Hutchinson. Honestly, Rui, I don't know if he's a three or a four, He's probably more of a four, I think, at this point. Uh, He's not really keeping up with the threes that are in this league. So getting a guy that can, like you said, he's 6'9". So his his measurables are very comparable to Cam Johnson. And what was the knock on Cam Johnson coming out of college? He's just old. It wasn't that, oh, he can't shoot. He's a good shooter. He plays good defense. It's just that he was old. Maybe we need to stop taking a flyer here at 15 and just take the old guy and 21. It's not even old, but let's take the old guy. (laughs) Plug him into the system. You get yourself another vet wing to start um, the season. And then you're looking at yourself with a Brad, a Russ, a vet wing, uh, a Rui, a Gafford. And then your backups being Trey Murphy in that mix, Bertans in that mix, whoever you decide to keep between Neto and Ish. Thomas Bryant, Denny, and now that's a team that's, I don't want to compare it to the Suns because they just made it to the NBA Finals, but that's a team where you can see, okay, they're not really lacking at any area. And we honestly have a better front court than that Suns team. They obviously, they have the number one player in Aiton, but after Aiton, it was a drop-off. They had Sarge, and then they had uh, Torrey Craig, then they had Frank Kaminsky. Gafford, Thomas Bryant, Robin Lopez... The combination of that three versus the combination of that three, four in Phoenix, I'm taking the Wizards just based off of what we've seen from these players. So it's going to be interesting to see, but I, I guess for me, my number one safe pick would be Trey Murphy. Now let's look on the other aspect, other end of it, Micah, with let's say Tommy comes to you and he tells you, I'm trading away Brad, I'm trading away Ross. 15 is available. Who slides there? He's more of a project, but has a high upside. Who do you like? Ooh, 
Now, see, that is a little bit different. Now, we're talking a player that kind of has to make up the production of two guys. And that's a really hard thing to do. But, man, I, I mean, if we're really thinking about it, I'm trying to take probably the best scorer, the scorer, you know, the person with the highest probability to really just light it up. And, I mean, Corey Kispert, I'm just looking at him. Like, if that's the situation and for whatever reason we're still right there, at, you know, at 1-5, at 15, then I'm getting the person who can give me the most upside on offense because let's say we do trade these two guys. I can Corey give you the most upside on offense, though? He can, so... Like, I feel like, I feel like he's very one-dimensional, too. He's very one... Yeah, I, I would say that he has the ability to expand his game, but he might end up being a Gordon Hayward type of player where his upside is as good as the scheme is going to be. So, like, we've seen Gordon Hayward have, like, 24 point per game seasons and I mean yes like Quinn Snyder I believe that was a coach at the time kind of molded that and got that out of him but even at times we you know with Gordon Hayward when he was uh, with the Celtics under Brad Stevens that familiarity and him just kind of being the perfect kind of scheme player for kind of all schemes that kind of does have a value in a role and you don't want to you know you don't want to spend a, a, a value pick and try to replace two all-star guys with a guy like Gordon Hayward but I think if you're trying to do damage control, you're not necessarily trying to put all your eggs in one basket and be like, okay, we need this project to go ahead and be our, you know, our second leading scorer or our first leading scorer. You get a guy who can fit into the scheme, get his good looks to shots, who's not necessarily a dumb player, and he's not necessarily a guy who's going to take a lot of risk, but you know if you get him his right shots in time, he's going to be able to make a good amount of those shots. I think Cole will probably fit that. Um but yeah, I just think that even if that situation comes up, I don't necessarily want to take a person where even in a year one situation, you're like, okay, what do we have in this guy? The biggest thing for me this draft, even in that scenario, would be taking a guy with an established skill set and then trying to build onto those skills to make him fit the scheme as perfect as possible. And I think Cole would probably do that, even in that situation. I have to disagree with you there. I think Corey is a guy... That you're looking, that fits the mode of just an older guy. What is he? He's a senior. He's already 22. Yeah, he's, he's old. not changing much. He's he was a three point sniper. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think he's really going to be an off the ball type of guy. Maybe we didn't. I mean, we didn't see it in his first three years either. But with Jalen Suggs there, there was no need for him to really handle the ball. Mm-hmm. I go the complete opposite direction with the freshman. Supposed to be highly touted. Supposed to be super raw coming in. But Zaire Williams now falling in the draft after coming in was a projected top uh, six, seven guy. In that mix with the Suggs and the Greens coming in um, out of high school, he went to uh, Sierra Canyon with Bronny Sutton, just a really highly recruited guy. And now he had 10.7, 4.6, 2.2, shot 30% um, from the three-point line in college. Very raw. Didn't have a great fr- freshman year. But again, a 6'8 shooting guard, like, those are the things you look for. Those are the things that are like, okay, this is a little bit different where he's going to be able to be a good shooter. He's going to be able to take people off the dribble. He's going to be able to score. And if you're trying to replace scoring production with multiple levels, he's that type of guy. I personally, with just the way the Wizards are trying to for, uh, trying to tell us, is it's not going to be a rebuild that we're really trying to retool with Brad and Russ. So, um, like we mentioned, Trey Murphy, uh, Moses Moody, um, Jalen Johnson, even from Duke, 
Um, he who he did he is a freshman. He is six nine. He's not as crisp as a three point shooter, but I think he could also help in uh, in the early half with just his defense. Mm-hmm. Um, just those type of guys help a little bit more than um, even Kispert. I think helps a little bit more than the guys where you're taking a flyer on Zaire Williams and those type of players where it's like, ooh, uh, I I don't know. So the draft is going to be very interesting. It's going to be very telling. Who knows if we even end up picking at 15. Maybe we just trade that pick for a veteran um, small forward and just make sure we're plugging that in. So there's so much going on uh, in that draft. But Thursday should be fun. I think we'll record again next week, Friday, after the draft, just to make sure that we can recap what the Wizards did on that day, do a deep dive on that pick and what that means for the Wizards' future. But been a fun time to be a Wizards fan. We got rid of Scott Brooks. We hired Wes Unsell Jr. And now we're going straight into the draft. Tommy's done a pretty good job in his first um, two years. Getting Gaffer for Troy Brown Jr., uh, getting Bertans for, I don't even forgot who he even traded for, for a bag of chips, and now getting his own coach. So uh, more power to the Wizards. Switching over from the Wizards, I want to talk Washington football team because Micah, training camp is around the corner. It feels like forever ago. Um, we were talking about that playoff loss and getting into the draft stuff and who are we taking at, um, who are we taking with our pick and what's going to happen here. Are we taking a quarterback? All that talk is out of the window. It is actually football time. So I want to come to you first. What is your number one storyline going into the Washington football team training camp? Quarterback play. It's always got to be the number one thing, but especially – when your team does everything they needed to do in the offseason to basically fill every gap, every conceivable gap they had, they got better at every position that they were terrible in. Relatively, it's linebackers is still iffy, but you did spend a first-round pick on a linebacker. So that is, quote-unquote, addressing the need. The biggest thing, once again, is quarterback. What is going to happen? I, I, I still think that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to start, but... There's a lot of Taylor Heineke talk, and I will understand if Taylor Heineke somehow, someway outplays, and it might just happen because of scheme. Like, let's not even, like, you know, overdo that. Like, Taylor Heineke could be lights out in camp in the preseason because of pure scheme, and he's literally been playing in the same scheme for about three to four years now as a backup. And we kind of saw that formented itself in the wild card game last year. But I'm just interested to see if... Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to win the job or not because the difference between not losing the job and flat out winning it. And if it's a situation where Taylor Heineke is actively winning the job and Ryan Fitzpatrick is just not losing it enough, it might be a crazy decision being made there. But uh, that's my biggest thing because, once again, you don't want to be in the top or the bottom three quarterback rooms anymore. You at least want to be at 20. At worst, you want to be 20. Because, I mean, that's just such a difference. It really, really is such a difference. You're moving from literally the worst to being serviceable. And watching the football team just needed serviceable stuff last year. They didn't need anything crazy. Crazy is good. I wish we had crazy, but we're not that right now. We just need good quarterback play without the mistakes. And I would love to see that. We got to see what happens with them. You're so right. You know, it's really hard to even argue anything besides the quarterback is the number one um, topic just because it is so determinant of how good this team could be. Let's just go crazy and say Ryan Fitzpatrick is a top 10 QB in the league next year. Washington football team could oh my God. arguably be in a Super Bowl. 
But let's go on the other end and say he's a bottom three QB in in the league next year. They could be picking number three or four again in the NFL draft. Like that's how volatile the, our QB situation is. So it is the most important to look at. Is Fitzpatrick, who is going into this presumed number one, is he doing what he's supposed to do to keep his job? Is Heineke pushing him? If Heineke is pushing him, are they actually going to give Heineke a fair shot or a fair shake to win the job from Fitzpatrick? Or are they just like, their mind is made up with Fitzpatrick? There's so many storylines. There's Kyle Allen you could throw into the mix. So just figuring out what we want to do with that quarterback position is going to be ever so important. But I'll try to think of also another number one storyline besides the quarterback play. And for me, that is the right tackle position. Samuel Cosme, Morgan Moses, and uh, and Cornelius Lucas. Morgan Moses was obviously going to be the starting right tackle when uh, Cosme was drafted and all throughout until the moment the report came out that he was going to be cut. That meant that they really liked Samuel Cosme. But do they like him or not where he's going to be starting week one? Or is this still going to be... Uh, Cornelius Lucas, who's going to fill in that place from a Morgan Moses standpoint to just be that bridge guy until Cosme is able to get started. So I'm really interested to see just the whole offensive line from that right tackle position to that left guard where Wes Schweitzer was really good at left guard last year. But we did trade for Eric Flowers, who started for us two years ago. Brandon Sheriff, obviously, most likely his last year with the Washington football team, will they potentially give somebody more reps during camp where you have a Sadiq Charles who's trying to get into the mix at guard or tackle. So there's so many different machinations of what an offensive line can look at, look like for the Washington football team next year that I think it'll be interesting to see um, how exactly that is going to play out and who ends up being that starting five once um, that first preseason game rolls around. So we've done two offensive, uh, offensive storylines, Micah. So let's switch over to the defensive end. What do you like? What what storyline are you looking on on the defensive side of the ball? My biggest storyline is I want to see if, well, I want to see who's going to end up being the third corner. Um, presumably, and I hope it's going to be Benjamin St. Juice. Um, just because what his size on the outside, what it's going to provide is a safety net for Kendall Fuller to go back and be the best slot corner in the NFL. And once again, we always talked about it. He's a top fifteen corner all around he's a top 15 outside corner but he might be uh, the best or a top two slot corner in the league and on a defense where your front seven well your front four let's let's keep it there your front four is going to do what they have to do each and every week let's not not you know not make a mistake about it if your back end is solid and playing with confidence man oh man that's going to be hard and i could have said safety but i'm not necessarily as worried about safety as maybe I should be, and maybe that's just me being delusional, but I think third corner, you know, whoever's, whoever's going to step up and be that third corner might have way better implications on what this defense is going to be than a safety position going into next year. Micah, you took my, you took my, my basic premise. Because <laughs> I, I am confused. Not only with corner, but with safety. I just want to see the entire how, what is going to be that starting DP room. Because they say that Collins isn't going to be 100% clear for training camp, but they do believe he'll be ready week one. So are we going to get Collins at strong safety, uh, Cam at free? Where is 
is, does Juice feel, fit into that picture? Does Bobby McCain not end up uh, making the team? Is Everett going to get snaps like he did once uh, once uh, Collins went out last year? Like, there's so many different things on that back end that we don't know. Somebody's going to get cut. All right. So, some they're not keeping all those DBs, so somebody's getting cut. And he's just trying to figure out who is going to be that person on the chopping block and who's going to start. I think I can say for sure, we know William Jackson, Kendall Fuller, uh, Cam Curl, those three Locked in. will be on the field some way, somehow. But everything else besides that is up in the air. We don't know, is it going to be, uh, is it going to be, Collins coming back. How does he look when he's how, when he's coming back? Is Bobby McCain going to play free? Or is he ever going to come in there? Is Jimmy Moreland going to play in the slot? Is um, Fuller going to move down into the uh, slot? And then St. Juice is going to go out to outside? Like so many different things. And it's so confusing that I have no idea what they what they plan to do. But um, they did talk about it that they're, that's what training camp is for. They're going to try to see who the best players are and play them. Ron is not afraid to play rookies. He said that last year, and he proved it last year that he definitely wasn't afraid to play rookies. So if St. Juice balls out during training camp, he will find himself on that field um, week one. Another storyline that I'm looking at on the defensive end of the ball during training camp is what does the linebacker rotation look yep. like? That we Going into it, we assume that Bostic would stay in the middle, and then whether depending on what the formation was and what you wanted, you would have a combination of Holcomb and Davis on this each side of him. Throughout rookie minicamp, throughout mandatory minicamp, Jamin Davis was playing middle linebacker. And I read a report, and I'm, I'm blanking on who, and I, I apologize, but I read a report that they were potentially thinking about starting. Davis had middle linebacker because as a linebacker, that's the easiest position to learn. And then you move on from there if so, uh, if if need be. If Davis is playing the middle linebacker spot, where's Bostic playing, right. Like, I, I don't see how he fits into the linebacker rotation because he's not a Will. He's not a Sam. He's not playing me. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's not playing either of those positions. And if he did, it's it's a serious problem for the Washington football team. So does that mean we see Kaliki Hudson and Holcomb? Does that mean that there's somebody else that's in the mix that we don't know about that's potentially trying to fill in that spot? Does that mean that Bostic may not even be on this team once um once the regular season starts? So for that linebacker room, I, I am definitely interested to see what happens there. I'm absolutely interested, and you made a great point. Because I, I do presume that Jamin Davis is going to be the middle linebacker. I mean, we all made the comparison just to Luke Keekley and him just being the field, you know, sideline to sideline guy that he is. And Jamin Davis is bringing that day one. So if that's what you want out of your defense, and I know Ron probably wants that out of his defense, Jamin Davis is going to be the middle linebacker. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, swapping John Bosick to um you know to Sam and Cole Holcomb to Will solves your issues because it's not like Cole Holcomb was covering the world last year. It's not like he even played that good of coverage. If anything, you kind of want to keep Cole Holcomb at your Sam because of what he does on blitzes. I mean, we saw how he disrupted that entire Cowboys offense when they played us at home and how he literally blew up Zeke. That's what Cole Holcomb does. He is an energy ball out there, and you want him at your Sam. But for Will, it's a lot of it's a lot of interesting. We gotta just see what happens because. Like I said, Khalid Hudson is there, but Khalid Hudson, for all, you know, for everything that he is, he's basically just a 
slightly bigger, maybe five to ten pounds, Landon Collins, like a, a guy that's really a, a hard-nosed kind of guy. Yes, he has a little bit of agility to him, but I don't necessarily want him covering tight ends or running backs out the backfield. So it's like, okay, well, who fits in here? And that's when you start looking at the depth. So, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I think this is where it fits into why there's so many DBs. Yeah. Where we can see a package where it is um, – what it, uh, what, I'm blanking on it. Is it Buffalo? Yeah. Was it the it's, Buffalo it's package where it was a two, a two linebacker set where you just have Jamin and uh, Holcomb, and then you have multiple DBs in the backfield all playing, where you can have your uh, other linebacker end up being a Landon Collins who plays a bigger, who plays, I mean, a, a bigger safety, a small linebacker, and then you have your other DBs back there. So I think that could be a reason maybe why we have so many DBs but are lacking in that linebacker department. That would absolutely make sense, and it will also make sense as to why you have a guy like Khalid Hudson or Landon Collins kind of filling that middle kind of role because, I mean, shoot, they were putting Cam Curl into that position. And Cam Curl, great player, but he's not going to be the athletic profile that Khalid Hudson and especially not Landon Collins brings. So if you're going to trot that out as kind of your de facto um, variation of your base, where, you know, you have your four down, and instead of giving them a normal uh, three linebacker look, you know, a traditional front seven, you're almost kind of mixing uh, three, four elements in there where you have your kind of your two off-wall linebackers, and then you kind of have just like, almost kind of like a rover or two kind of out there instead of, you know, instead of edge rushers because you have your four down linemen. That could definitely be a situation where we're seeing all of these DBs and the linebacker room kind of coexist. And we, be, you know, the idea of that has kind of been out there for a while where it's been, it's been a little bit rudimentary, though, where it's been like, oh, yeah, Landon Collins can sub in that linebacker. Well, Landon Collins will never be able to play linebacker in the NFL. He just doesn't have that ability. He doesn't have the... It's just not Atlanta Collins is not a linebacker, guys. But what he can do is play that that big kind of nickel kind of look where he is the rover and he is kind of dictating kind of you know the edge of the football, um, the edge of the uh, excuse me, the edge of the line of scrimmage, kind of just being that guy who's a nuisance when you can't necessarily go around him. That could absolutely be his role. So if they're gonna chop that out, then it kind of makes more sense. But if we're gonna be traditional. Four three. Oh, we need a, a will linebacker unless they're <laughs> unless they're going to free agency somehow and getting a guy. It's going to be another problem this year, and that's the last thing you want for this defense to be foiled by a bad linebacker play once again. I will cry. I will be so mad at this team. Yeah, which I was confused with them signing Bobby McCain. I thought, okay, yeah, that's obvious, and then we're going to sign another linebacker, and they didn't. So. There's obviously something defensively that they're seeing where it's going to be multiple DBs, DBs on the field at a time, and that's just a package they're going to run with because I I just can't see if you're having Jamin play middle linebacker that you don't have anybody else um, on the outsides of him, and it's definitely not going to be Bostic. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode. It's My God, it's going to be so fun over these next couple of months. We're back. We're rolling. We have the NBA draft next week. We're going to have some training camp stuff to talk about the week after that. We're going to be getting ready for our preseason game, Micah. Like, we're going to, like, we're going to be breaking down actual film in a couple of weeks where we're talking about what Ryan Fitzpatrick did versus what Taylor Heineke did. And do we count what Taylor Heineke did? Because I'm telling you, Taylor Heineke is going to cook in that second half, but everybody's going to be, well, it's second or third stringer, so you can't count it. I just can't wait for all those arguments, all those discussions. Oh, I know we said I know 
I know we said we're going to wrap up here, but I do have one more topic. Let it fly, bro. The Cleveland, uh, well, the, formerly the Cleveland Indians, now the Cleveland Guardians, changed their name. Middle of the season, did it quick. No fan survey, no Washington, no Cleveland baseball team. Very different from the Washington football team's approach. Now that you see the way the Cleveland Guardians did it, Micah, do you regret that Washington has been so open with this process where they're saying, okay, we're going to change the name from, okay, we're going to change the name. We're going to give it a temporary name to the Washington football team. Okay, now we want the fans to submit a survey saying what names that they like. Okay, now we're going to send out another list to season ticket holders saying, okay, pick these names that you like. Okay, we're going to run with the football team name for two years. And then in the beginning of 2022, we're going to announce the permanent name that could still end up being the Washington football team. <laughs> Man, um, this whole process with the name has been way too confusing for anybody to try to pick apart. And I think it's caused more friction than it has bringing you know, unity to an actual name and to a logo. Because now you're at the point where, you know, for everything that these mascots represent what the Cleveland well what the you know the Cleveland Guardians have done formerly the Cleveland Indians at this point they just rip the band-aid off and say you know what this is what the name is going to be you're going to be a fan of the team deal with it deal with it because we're moving on from this This is not going to be a big thing and outside of the initial shock and everybody you know is going to make comments on Twitter about the initial shock oh it's bad it's bad nobody's going to care because they already got rid of the logo they've been using the damn C now you have a nice little baseball logo, which is very, very well done in my opinion. I like how they presented it, and I like what you know their rollout was. And now you get to the point where you can give t- fans time to actually build this brand up. You know, possibly do some deals where they get their jerseys. You know, swap with the old Indians gear to the new Guardians gear. You give fans the time to actually get behind the name. What the Washington Football Team is doing is you're putting your fans in limbo. And I mean, lucky for us, we've been used to limbo since. You know, Dan Snyder's been the owner, so this is nothing new to us. But it's just another annoyance on the 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 train that is Washington football team. Like, okay, things are starting to happen. The team's starting, you know, the on-field product is starting to look great. But we still don't have a name, and it's still just a bunch of negative and weird press around that. I kind of would have rather them just kind of rip the bandit off and be like, hey, you know what? We're going to be the Red Wolves. This is what it is. I'm sorry. You can get new jerseys. You can wear your old jerseys if you want. But this is what it is. Let's just move on from this. Because, dog, nobody's talking about the Guardians anymore. But every week you see a new Washington football team story kind of bashing on them for this whole process. So, I wish they had ripped the mandate off. Maybe that's foresight that we don't have or we're starting to see or whatever the case may be. But I like how the Guardians did it and I did not like how Washington football team did it in hindsight. And I love that you ended that with in hindsight. Because when they first started, I was like, oh, this is very nice, very inclusive to bring everybody in. But I thought we were going to have a new name this year. Like, I didn't think it would be going a whole nother season. What I realized from this Cleveland Guardian situation is whatever the name is going to be, there are going to be people online that are upset. But in five to ten years, nobody is going to care. You sent a tweet into our group chat today. Somebody's like, this is the worst name ever. So we have multiple baseball teams named after socks. Right. Like, no, nobody cares after a while. It's just the initial shock of it. So instead of them, and I understand what they wanted to do with the football team and making sure they didn't do anything that was derogatory to Native Americans again uh, with the Warriors or anything. But 
Cleveland did this low key. Super. They fouled their patents. They got everything good. They got a fire logo. Like you said, in your opinion, I like the logo too. And they just moved on with it. Washington, I wish they would have done the same. We're, uh, Cleveland said they were going to change the name uh, a year ago or so. They didn't tell us how long it would take. They just said, yeah, we're going to change it. Washington should have done the same thing. We're going to change the name. Okay, we're coming out. We're the Wolves now. We're the Red Wolves now. They dropped it in the middle of the season. They have a game tonight. Bro. And they were just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we got to change the name. So let's drop it on a Friday at two uh, at noon where like nobody was expecting it. So I just feel like that was a more a more approach that is going to be less scrutinized in the grand scheme of things. Because I feel like at this point... Names have been scrutinized so much that whatever the name lands on is going to be something that people have heard so much that they hate. Unless they're taking a name out of complete left field. But I've gotten to a point where I'm like, I don't even care what the name is at this point. Just give me a mascot, give me a name, and let's move on from it. But I I, I think we both have got pretty comfortable with just saying the Washington football team. I like, like the it's Washington It's not something that is strange to me. It's not strange to me anymore. It's just like, yeah, WFT, like Washington football team. and. It's worked so far for now. If they would have made that the name officially last year, I don't think I really would have had a problem with it. As long as we were able to get our gear and be able to put some winning football on the field, that's all that matters, man. But like I said, Micah and I will be back. At, uh, Micah and I will be back next week. Draft, um, training camp storylines, getting ready for preseason game one. So much going on in the next couple of months. So excited to be back and in. Uh, be back and better for this next upcoming football season is where we really get into it. But for Mike and for Micah, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. Peace.